The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. So we're going to continue our, our uh, summer study, even though some of us have to go back to school this week. It's still summer, technically, I think. Um, so we're going to continue in our uh, summer study. We'll be in Psalm 77. If you want to turn there, we'll have it up on the screen. We'll have it available for you if you don't have a, a Bible this morning. A couple of things I want to tell you about. First of all, men, uh, we've got a couple of opportunities, I guess, for ministry for you. So this beginning part is for our guys. Um, first of all, on Thursday nights, um, at the end of this month, we're going to begin a new ministry called Men's Freedom Group. And uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's kind of a 13-week series that just helps men walk in freedom. And uh, it covers just a, a whole range of things, kind of deconstructs probably some of the things you believe about God and yourself. Um, and uh, what it means to walk with him and be a Christian. Um, and so, guys, I, I know it's kind of vague, but uh, if you're interested in that, you can email us at men at tsf-church.com. And I would really strongly encourage our guys to think about doing that um, on Thursdays. I'll tell you this, on Wednesdays, and this will start in um, September, um, the Lord has delivered me from a 6 o'clock in the morning Bible study. And so... I'm going to be leading an evening Bible study for the first time in a long time. Um, But uh, we'll start going through uh, a book called Imperfect Disciples, and we'll be doing that on Wednesday nights at 7. That'll begin in uh, September. So, guys, there's a couple of opportunities there for you to kind of just be engaged with other men and uh, be discipled and disciple each other, be in community with some guys. So take advantage of those things. The other thing I want to tell you about is our car care ministry. So this is brand new for us. We did it years ago. We're kind of starting it uh, again as a regular ministry for us. Um, We want to minister to people in our church and outside of our church who have a need. So in particular, this first time, if you have a car that needs an oil changed and uh, that's outside of your ability or uh, to either do it or to pay for it, we want to just bless you and do that for you um, so you can sign up to have your oil changed. And so one of the things that the the leader of this ministry wanted me to let you know, like college kids, if you're headed back to school and you want to get your oil changed before you go, single moms, you know, just anybody um, who would need that done. Um, who doesn't maybe know how to do it, we would just like to bless you. It gives our guys some experience also along the way. There's also a class that same morning. Um, I think it's coming up this Saturday. Same morning, there's a class. And if you want to know how to take care of your car better, I would encourage you to come to that class. Real basic stuff, but just kind of how to keep your car on the road as long as possible. Um, and it's really open to anybody that wants to come to that. So I would encourage you. There's a place to sign up out in the foyer. If you want to serve in that ministry, you can sign up in the foyer. So there's lots of ways for you to get involved, all right? Psalm uh, 77 is where we're going to be. Um, in 1995, I'm just curious because I want to feel old today. Who was not born in 1995? Like, you've been born since then. Put your hand up. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Caskies? Your kids? Oh, man. We're old people. Um, 1995. Uh, Nine Inch Nails came out with a song. Anybody remember Nine Inch Nails? They're still around. Yeah, they're still playing. Nine Inch Nails came out with a song called Hurt. Um, Trent Reznor, the leader of that band, wrote that. And at the time, it came out. It was part of that, that album's release that year. And honestly, it was sort of a middling song. It didn't really hit a lot of people and all that kind of thing. 
in late 2002, Johnny Cash covered a Nine Inch Nails song, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But Johnny Cash covered that song, Hurt, in 2002. Then in early 2003, um, the video came out. Now, here's what I would say. Normally, I wouldn't say this, but I'm going to tell you. I encourage you to watch that video, um, Johnny Cash's version of Hurt. If anybody saw the movie Logan, they used that version in the movie soundtrack of the movie Logan. It's one of the top ten videos probably of all time. Um, it's exceptionally emotional uh, and captures Johnny in the last months of his life. Um, his wife, June Carter Cash, who you can see here, this is a clip from the video. June Carter Cash is standing up on the stairs. This is in their home, his childhood home that they turned into a museum. It had been boarded up and shuttered for years. And they went in and decided to do the video in this home. It's full of memorabilia from all of his years. His family portraits are on the wall. And Drew Carter Cash is there staring at him while he's singing the song, and they're cutting that video. Um, that was in 2003. Um, by, I believe, by uh, May of that year, this was February, by May, June Carter Cash would be dead. And by September, Johnny would be dead. Four years later, that house would burn to the ground. Um, it's just, if you, and having that context and knowing some of Johnny Cash's story, lived a rough life, lived a hard life. Um, did some tough stuff. Walk the line. If anybody ever saw that movie, that was about him as a young man. Um, and it puts that song in context. I want to, I normally wouldn't do this, but I want to read these lyrics to you. I don't want to show the video. It would take too long. But I want to read the lyrics to you so you can kind of grasp. This is a 72-year-old man singing these lyrics. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole the old familiar sting, try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still right here. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. If I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. You, you really need to watch the video. It is very impactful. You feel the emotion of this man who has lived a hard life, who knows he's sort of facing his end, and the regret and the pain. There's a pain in this, vo in this song that, like, never goes away. Those hurts and those pains and those disappointments that just don't ever go away, you feel it when you hear him sing this song. Trent Reznor, who wrote the song, said that when he heard Johnny do it, he said, that song was no longer mine, that became his, that he owned it. Sometimes we have these pains that just will not go away. And sometimes songs help us express that or they give voice to these pains that won't go away. Mumford and Sons wrote a song called The Ghost That We Knew. They said, so give me hope in the darkness that I will see the light because, oh, it gave me such a fright. But I will hold on with all my might. Just promise me we're going to be all right. There are times when pain doesn't fade. There are times when disappointments don't just go away. And sometimes, again, songs can help us voice those things. 
express those things when we can't do it otherwise. In the middle of the Bible are 150 songs. We call them psalms. But there are 160 songs right smack in the middle of Scripture that kind of serve a little bit. I think of this purpose for us. They help us reorient ourselves when our emotions and our feelings and our experiences are just kind of out of whack everywhere, you know? And these songs come along and help us process those things. Maybe we're unsure or we're in pain or we're in suffering. We don't know what's up or down or right or left. Here's what we don't want during those times when we're struggling, when we're in pain, when there's a kind of suffering or disappointment that just doesn't go away. We don't want, we don't want somebody to give us empty theology or emotionally disengaged optimism, and we don't want to give that to somebody else, right? And how many times when you've been hurting have you received something like that, right? Emotionally disengaged optimism or empty theology. And there's not that it's not true, it's just that it's the wrong time (laughs) to hear and say some of those things, right? Well, I'm sure God's got a plan for you. Well, I'm sure he does too, but today stinks, right? And the, one of my favorites is when God shuts a door, he's, what if he doesn't? <laughs> you know what I mean? What if I just have to sit in this closed-in house for the next 10, 10 years? It's in those times, right, when we're at that place and we're like, there is no way out of this. This, this pain, this suffering just is not going to go away. That we need God to speak into that. We need some help. We need some some point of direction, some true north, you know, that we can direct our hearts to and our feelings toward, our emotions toward. And I think the Psalms come along and help serve as, the, uh, serve as that tool for us. We want to walk with God, right? No matter what we're in, no matter what season of life we're in, no matter what pain life has brought us, we want to walk it with God. Amen? Does that make sense, guys? So I'm not saying God's going to take it away. If I ever stand up here and tell you God's going to take away every pain, you should just start stoning me immediately. All right? Get rid of me. Fire me. So I'm never going to come here and tell you that. I am going to tell you that God will walk with you through every pain, disappointment, suffering moment you have in life. And you can walk with him. So when we go through those darkest, worst days, the times when that pain just won't go away, we want to walk it with God. Right? And I want to remind you that these psalms, these would have been songs that they were singing. And however hard that is to imagine for us, because none of these words rhyme, and we're all into rhyming and, you know, ambic, pentameter, whatever we're doing when we're writing songs and poetry and stuff like that, it's hard for us to imagine them singing these songs, but that's what they would have done. This would have been the song that they had come. I, I think that one of the problems with our, our modern worship music um, is that too often, it can be fairly empty-headed and overly simplistic. We have got to be careful that, that we find ourselves in this weird Christian subculture ghetto where we have access, we're entertained by worship music now. Just think about that. We're entertained by worship music. We have to be careful that the worship music that we're ingesting has substance, Right? that it means something that we're listening to, not just empty-headed phrases, empty theology, overly simplified optimism. We've got to be careful about that. We don't want to have a diet uh, of, of worship that submits everything in life to God, 
that looks for God in the pain and in the defeats and in the, the victories, and we celebrate with him, and we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit and of God in our lives, even in the pain that won't go away. We want our worship music to help us get there, right? So I think things like the song that we, the last song that we sang, um, the lyrics that are there, you know, you love me then, you love me now, I will wait, my faith will rise. I will embrace this life that you give. I'm not looking necessarily for everything to be hunky-dory and rosy. I'm going to embrace this life that you give me. Jesus, you're enough to carry on. Guys, that's good theology. That's good content. That's a song you can sing to yourself on the worst days, right? When that pain doesn't go away. So we want to make sure that whatever we're putting in, our diet of worship is feeding us well to get through that time. Can somebody do me a favor? There's a ring. Can you help me out, Jimmy, with that? I'm not, I don't know if anybody else is hearing it, but it's driving me a little nutso, okay? Um, so uh, as we're going to look at this psalm today, um, we're going to look at a, David, or Asaph, actually, who wrote this psalm. And he's like at this point where he's like, I got nowhere to go with this. There, there's nowhere else for me to take this pain and this suffering. Um, and so we're going to see maybe, I don't want to say helps, but instructions might be the best word um, of what he's going to give us. Uh, to uh, take our pain and our suffering when we don't have anywhere else to go. So I think the psalm, this psalm in particular, we're going to read this at the end of the psalm. Um, it's kind of God's way of saying, hey, man, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. You can't hear me right now. You can't see me right now. And I think there are times when God's going to say, I've gone radio silent. I'm not talking to you right now, but I'm here. And I think this psalm is one of those reminders for our soul that when we can't hear him or see him, he's here. And this is one of those songs I've got to sing to myself when I find myself in that place where pain that just lingers, right? Suffering that just sticks around, has nowhere to go. So let's jump in here. Psalm 77 verse 1 says, My voice rises to God. And I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, now this, this is a weird verse. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Selah. You have held my eyelids open, and I am so troubled that I cannot speak. This is a heavy one, man, right? There's a lot of weightiness uh, to this psalm, a lot of honesty here in this psalm as he's walking with God in the middle of his pain. So there's, we don't know what's happening, why the author wrote this. There's some unknown pain. What we know is that there's no comfort for him. What we know is that there, he's not finding any kind of supernatural word from God, um, He's been praying and talking to God and reaching out to God, and his problems haven't just gone poof. It's some extended season of walking through some kind of pain, disappointment, and suffering. That's all we really kind of know here. And it says that, that in my heart that I'm disturbed in verse 3. Matter of fact, it says when I think about God, I'm disturbed, which is a tough, tough sentence to read and to understand. But I want to talk about it a little bit. He says, so when I think about God, I'm disturbed. And, disturbed, and that word means to moan or to groan. It's a pain that you're experiencing, sometimes an emotional pain that you go through, a mental pain that you go through, uh, that causes you to groan and moan out loud. Um, I generally don't get 
physically ill. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll get a little head cold or something like that, but I don't get sick a lot. This February, I got whatever funky flu was going around, man. And it hit me all of a sudden. Um, I blamed the men's Bible study. We had Bible study at six o'clock in the morning. And by seven, I called Minnie. I'm like, I'm feeling kind of funky, man. And that got me for two days, man. And it was that thing where you're in bed and if you move, something hurts. Something doesn't feel right. And you're dizzy and the room spins a little bit, you know, and all that stuff. And there were times when I would just moan. Like my back hurt, so I had to roll over. You know what I'm saying? Something's going to hurt here. And I just had to roll over. And while you were, oh, (laughs) you know what I mean? You're under the covers. You want anybody to touch you and all that stuff. Right? So that's a physical time when you're so sick that it elicits a moan or a groan out of you. This is like that emotional time. This is that time of pain and suffering in your heart and your soul. And to think about it elicits a groan from your heart and from your soul. So that's what this author is going through. Something that's just pushing him down and driving him to this place of I'm in almost hopelessness. And when he thinks about God, it gets even harder. So what's he doing about it? What is, what is the author of this psalm sort of doing about this pain or what to do with it or, or, or where to take it or whatever it is? Like, what, how's he handling it? Part of his initial strategy, he's like, okay, I'm just dying here. This is killing me. I'm moaning. I'm growing. It's painful. Um, part of his initial strategy is to remember. He'll, he'll use that word a lot. And we're going to see that word a lot, which maybe a better word for us would be meditate. Remember and meditate. It's to think deeply about something is the idea. To really think deeply about something. So he says, man, I'm going to set my heart on remembering something. So let's just quickly talk about meditation. We're going to talk about it several times. When we meditate as Christians, what are we doing? Okay, we're not doing the Eastern mysticism version where we clear our heads and our hearts and our minds and want nothingness to fill us. That's Eastern mysticism. Christian biblical meditation is, I'm going to clear my heart and my mind of the the confusion that is around me, the cacophony of noise that's around me, and I'm going to think on Christ. I'm going to remember his ways. I'm going to think about scripture, right? It's all that. It's, It's letting, meditation is sort of letting the truths that we have in our heads kind of seep down into our hearts on purpose, right? We're setting aside a time so that those things can kind of soak themselves down until they affect our heart. So the psalmist isn't being stoic. He's not gritting his teeth and hoping that the storm passes, nor is he out venting his feelings. This is the second time we've read a psalm where the psalmist isn't out just lashing out at everyone around him when things are bad. So he's not venting his feelings on everybody. He's on purpose redirecting his thoughts and feelings toward some truths about God, something that is truth and true about God. Now, he's going to have to do this repeatedly. The first section that he goes through, which we read, it doesn't work. He walks through it at least once or twice or multiple times, and he's like, at nighttime, I'm crying out to the point that I'm raising my arms and they're getting weary. I can't keep my my hands up. I've been crying and praying for so long. I've been trying to remember who God is and remember his truth, and it's not having any effect on me. So he's trying to redirect them and concentrate on him. So one of the things you learn as you grow up a little bit in Christianity is that this is not a moment-by-moment thing, right? This isn't a one plus one equals two. I'm suffering. I remember God. I feel better, right? I'm suffering. I remember God, and I'm still suffering. (laughs) I'm going to remember God, and I'm still suffering. And I'm going to remember God, and I'm still suffering. 
Does that make sense, y'all? It's, just, it's not a moment by moment, do this, get that. It's a do this, do this, grow into this, become this person, and let God do what he's going to do. And he's walking with me the entire time. And I want to remember him well. I want to let those truths seep down, soak down into my soul. So it's a lifetime of meditation and remembering. It's learning how to take control of the memories in your soul. I, I really, really like that. I came up with that one last night about 1030. I really like the way that sounds. Guys, listen, take control of the memories that you have floating around inside your head and your heart and your soul. How many times, we're going to talk about this later, you're just at the mercy of what pops in your head. You just give yourself to whatever the feeling of the day is, whatever the circumstance of the moment is. Take control of those things. I think that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think part of that self-discipline thing that the Holy Spirit gives us is this. It's control over what's happening inside. Our thoughts and our... our that is the, the implications of that are humongous, guys. The implications of the fact that I could potentially take control of those thoughts that come to me unbidden, like I'm not looking for them and they come, that I could speak into that and take control of those things. That's powerful, powerful hope for us through Scripture. Meditation is part of that, right? So he talks about this whole thing about, um, I think about God and I get sadder. <laughs> That's a tough sentence to read. I think about God and it makes this pain harder. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, how do you explain that to somebody? I'm not going to say who it was, but I was talking to two people this morning about going to the dentist. Anybody love going to the dentist, you weirdos? Oh, y'all are weird. See, you're little kids. You get that flavored stuff in your mouth still and all that later on. It's going to be great your whole life. Don't worry about it. You're going to love it. I want to walk. Uh, we have the great dentist. 15 years. I don't know. We've been seeing him forever. Love this guy. He's hilarious and quirky and weird. But when I walk in, I want to, I want to throat punch him just before we get started. You know, I know what you're about to do to me, and I'm going to get mine in before you get started. So just, you know, all right, go ahead. You know, that kind of deal. So as you think about this idea that I would think about God, and it makes it harder, it makes the pain more difficult. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, what do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know that he is good? Have they never been to a dentist? <laughs> is that, are the wheels turning? It's early in the morning, I know. Do you get it? There are times when you're in pain and you think about going to the spiritual doctor and it gets harder. It gets more difficult. There's work to be done, right? He's going to tell you some things you probably don't want to hear. And that pain that you're experiencing is going to get a little deeper before it gets better. You guys get that? There are pains and sufferings that we walk through in life that just linger and they stay and I meditate and I try and they just stay, and I don't feel my way getting out of them. Then I think about God, and I'm like, oh, God, that didn't help at all. <laughs> that didn't help at all. Lord, you've made this more difficult as I think about my pain and my suffering. That's the place where we find this guy, Asaph, as he's writing this psalm, as he tries to remember. So look at verse 5. We'll continue on his journey. I have considered, he's like, okay, I'm trying. I've considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart. So, man, he's kind of talking himself into it, I think, you know. I'm not going to give up. And my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? He asks himself these questions. Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never be favorable to me again? 
Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Selah. He just continues kind of on this downward spiral, doesn't he? I think that the psalm, that even the nine verses we've already read, give us some sort of instructions. I don't, I don't want to say it's a how-to psalm at all. I don't like looking at scripture that way, actually. But I do think that we can find some helps and some instructions for different seasons of life. So if you're at that point in this morning and you're here and you're like, this pain is too much. I can't deal with this one. I've prayed, I've thought, I've meditated, I've tried, and it just won't go away. Where is some hope for me? Where is some help for me? I think the psalmist gives us a a pattern uh, that we can walk down potentially, okay? So here we go. I'm not saying it's going to give you relief. I'm just saying it's a way to walk with God while you're suffering, all right? So let's kind of look at this. I do think Psalm 77, you could look at it like on the label of it, maybe the heading underneath it. It's like God put open in case of emergency, I think that we could title this psalm that, okay? So let's just look at it real quickly and what he, some of the instructions that we see here or the pathway that he gives us. First of all, cry out to God. Cry out to God. And maybe you need to write, cry out to God repeatedly. He does it at the beginning. He does it multiple times at the beginning. He talks about staying up at night. He says, this is not offering me any relief, so I'm going to quit. No, I'm going to remind myself again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to remember again. I'm going to meditate again. I will call out to God. And again, maybe you need to put repeatedly on there. We don't have time for it, but if you want to read this psalm, and I I would encourage you to just take this psalm and read it. Read Psalm 77 and 78 together. They're kind of companion psalms. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Read those two things together. So I would say reach it, cry out to God. But I also think part of that is this. You're going to reach out for help and you're going to reach up for help. Um, some of us think in, in times of trouble, or maybe we come here and we sit, you know, in our same seat every week, or we sit, you know, away from people every week, or we come in late so we don't have to talk to anybody and get out early so we don't have to talk to anybody. And I think some of us have this idea that, man, I just don't want to deal with the mess that other people have in their lives. I've got enough mess in my own life. My, my own life is, is difficult enough, and I really just don't want to get into it with anybody else. Here's what I would say commentarily about that, that I think scripture kind of feeds into us. It's the spiritually mature, healthy, happy believer who serves other people in community. It's the spiritually mature person who goes, my life is difficult. So is yours. Let's walk together. The lone ranger Christian never gets the blessing of just walking through somebody's pain. Now, that may sound nuts and like a blessing you don't want, (laughs) but it is a rich blessing. Not to find help for them, not to solve their problem, just to walk with them through their pain. There is a rich blessing in that. And the spiritually mature values that blessing and puts themselves in a situation where that can happen. First thing we see here, when your life falls apart and the pain won't go away, Cry out to God, and sometimes crying out to God is crying out to our neighbors for help. God works through people. So reaching out to God and to other people over and over again. Secondly, meditate. We're going to come back to meditation later on. Third, get closer to Jesus. Verse 10, which we haven't read yet. I'll read it here in a second. Verse 10, I think, is a direct appeal to Jesus Christ. And you're like, this is Old Testament. How can that be? Look at verse 10. He said, then I said, it is my grief 
that the right hand of the Most High has changed. There's a lot of language things going on here in this text that make it very odd. And then just that phrase, the right hand of the Most High, is a strange phrase. At the end of the day, I want to tell you, he is talking about Jesus Christ. I don't think Asaph knew that. He wouldn't have used that language, but you and I do. We look at the totality of the revelation of God, and we see, oh my goodness, the pivot point of Psalm 77 is Jesus. The place where everything turns around in this psalm is the person of Jesus Christ. And we see it here in verse 77. So verse, uh, the third thing is, I would just say, man, get closer to Jesus. He talks about God's way in verse 13, that God's way is holy. So much, We looked at it before. So many of these psalms are calling back to the Red Sea, uh, where God rescues his people from Egypt and walks them through the Red Sea and everything. So if that's true, let's just assume that's true. And this guy's like, man, this is hard. This pain won't go away. I'm trying to remember God. Everything pivots on the right hand of God. Everything changes on the right hand of God. We see that person as Jesus Christ. If he's looking back at the Red Sea, what was God's way? He says, God's way is holy. What is God's way when we look back at the Red Sea? Walls of water on either side of you that lead to a strange and unknown land, ultimately to a a mountain covered with a cloud where you're going to enter into a relationship with the God you don't know. That's God's way. (laughs) Now, you know, hey, God, I just take a boat (laughs) or a life raft. Maybe I can swim across that. He's like, no, 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 you can't. You can't get out of this. I've got to get you out. And it's not what we expect. It's not in the, in the mannerism or the, the, the mode that we would expect. But God's ways are holy. And he shows up in this really terrifying means of escape. Who wants to be the first person to walk between the walls of water? Any volunteers? Somebody's got to do it. God tends to show up in our lives in these places where we can't get out. And the suffering is too much and the pain won't go away. In kind of terrifying other ways. He presents us with option A, which is absolute destruction. Option B, which might be destruction, but it might take you to somewhere amazing. He invites us to walk, be with him. Which is awesome, man. Terrifying and awesome at the same time. That's what he's appealing back to here, right? So then if that's what he's thinking about, this unimaginable rescue from God in the worst time that you can think of, he's going to show up in a way that probably scares you. Look ahead and and think about Jesus Christ. Think about the work that Christ has done. It's the the death that, that Jesus died for us that tore open the path for us to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything in your life pivots on that mark, on that work of Jesus Christ and his way is holy. I'm not telling you it makes any sense that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. I think there's some theological truths there that help. But I'm, I'm just saying he's taking us from this place of death to life through an avenue that we never would have guessed was possible. And the psalmist said, when my soul reaches its worst point, I need to remember Jesus. I need to remember he has made a way for me to be this, the child of God. He's made a way for me to be with God in such a way that he can never be separate from me. Right? So he's calling us to remember those things. So get closer to Jesus Christ. Number four, we need to rest in this a mystery. There's a mystery to all of this. 
Stay away from books that tell you they've got the answers. Stay away from pastors who tell you that they've got the answers. There is something about walking with God in a broken world that's mysterious. Maybe we just want to start with, we don't understand him at all, right? That, that to have this relationship with this immense, eternal, glorious being, I can't comprehend him. How can I ever hope to understand what he does? So if it's just that, right, there's a mystery to walking with God. And I've got to learn to rest in that mystery. I am terrible at this one. As bad as I am at meditation, I'm horrible at this fourth one, at resting in God's mystery. And I think most of us probably struggle here. So thought experience, ready? Or the experiment. How much of your theology is based on, I just don't get how that could be. And your theology ends with what you get. That's the lid that's on your, your understanding and walk with God. Well, I don't understand that. What if the lid on our theology was, I don't get it, but God said it, so I'm going to believe it. How much of our theology is just based on, I don't get that. And then we have this Western need, I think a Western idol, of being certain about things. The, not, the, the idol of certainty. And that feeds us into this idea that, man, if I'm uncomfortable with something, I'm just going to reject it. There's things I don't understand about it. I'm just not going to go down that path. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to go there. So I've said before that faith and doubt are kind of two sides of the same coin. They coexist with each other. I don't think they're mutually exclusive of one another. I don't even think that's what Scripture is talking about when it talks about those things. They coexist. I think it would be safe to say that doubt can certainly exist without faith, but faith draws us up and out out of doubt. So I can have doubt and never have faith, but the definition of faith is that I have some doubts, that I'm doing things I don't understand, that I'm going to act in certain ways that probably don't make sense to me or you. Do you understand that? Faith is drawing us up out of our doubts to act and behave and believe in ways that we really probably wouldn't do otherwise, correct? So let me strip it down to something real simple for us, okay? We do this on a kind of a daily basis or whatever. I have this stuff in my house called Goo Gone. Anybody have Goo Gone? Okay, Goo Gone. It's like a miracle, man. I got, uh, I got paint thinner, right? Turpentine. And I was trying to take off of tile tape. Somebody had put tape on some tile and that, that residue was still there. I couldn't get it off or anything, right? Razor blade, you know, nothing. Turpentine, my house smelled like gasoline for like a week. So I was trying to get this stuff up. Goo gone? Magical. I was a total doubter. Complete doubter. I don't remember who told me about it, but somebody said, use this stuff. It'll take it up. Like, whatever. Five bucks for a bottle. Okay, I'll try it. <laughs> you know? Did it. I'm a believer now. I got some extras, I'll sell you, okay? <laughs> Goo gone. Didn't believe it, but I did it anyway. Oven cleaner. Somehow or another, we've lived in a house for less than two years, and our oven catches on fire almost. You know what I'm saying? They're just stuff that's gotten spilled in there. I'm like, how's this happen? Oven cleaner. Didn't believe it. I'm like, that stuff's never coming off. We're going to move out. That stuff's still going to be there, you know? <laughs> Spray that on. Two hours later, magical. <laughs> it just comes right off. Didn't believe the can or the ads, you know? Bought it, did it anyway. I'm going to give Linda Griffin credit for this one. We've had kids that have played athletics for years, right? Everything smells. 
Everything, things that shouldn't smell, smell like sweat, right? Am I right? Just everything stinky all the time when your kids play sports all the time. Uniforms in particular because they wear them multiple times a week and all that. And we just would like air them outside, you know, anything we could think of. Four, you know, cups of the, of the scent smell stuff that you put in the end just to get rid of it. Nothing was working. Two years ago, three years ago, Linda says, I get this stuff at Sam's, which I can't remember the name of it anymore, but I have two bottles of it in my house. Half a cap of that, magical. Magical, fresh. Didn't believe it because we tried everything. Worked perfectly. I exercised faith three times in the middle of doubt. Right? Didn't I? Didn't believe any of it until I walked through it and did what it said it would do. When I bought it, when I set my mind to buy it, When I got so frustrated with what I was trying that didn't work that I decided to go get it, doubt, 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 but little steps of faith right in the middle of it all. Plop that credit card down, plop that debit card down, act of faith. I'm giving you some exchange money for this good and service. See what I'm saying? Then you do it and you use it. Faith-based action in the middle of doubt. You guys get that? There are going to be times in our lives, there's going to be pain in our lives and suffering in our lives that just will not go away. But doubt and faith coexist together. Faith draws us up in the middle of our doubts so that doubts aren't ruling us. We all have them. Here's one of the things we love about the scriptures. I think all scriptures, but the Psalms in particular, it's like the Psalms are inviting our doubts. They're, they're welcoming our doubts. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have this God who has 150 songs and many of them are about, I don't know how this is going to work out, God. This hurts too much, God. They hurt me too much, God. That person hurt me. There is no way. Aren't we glad that those are some of the songs that Jesus says, hey, sing these when things are hard. Sing these songs when it feels like there's no way out. So, He's not inviting inviting doubt like as a basis for life, not encouraging us to necessarily doubt, but to acknowledge our doubt, to bring our doubt to God, to kind of say, hey, this is part of the regular Christian experience, right? Verse 3, just going to read it again. He says, when I remember God, then I am disturbed. Are you ever disturbed in your walk with God? Some of us need to be more honest. Some of us are really honest, and we pop our hand up right now. Yeah, I am. I'm disturbed in my walk with God. Good. I think that is a sign that you are incomplete. And you're weak and you're developing and your faith is being challenged and built up in the person of Jesus Christ. The person who comes in and says, I have doubts, doesn't bother me so much as the person who says, I don't have any. That person's not honest and God can't work in that person. Doubt is very much often the thing that drives us forward in faith. Faith is the expression and the action that says this. So faith is this. I will not be ruled by the doubt that I feel. Okay? Some of us are like, no, no, no. Faith and doubt can't have any. I'm feeling doubt. I'm going to acknowledge that, but I'm not going to be ruled by it. I'm not going to be ruled by what I see or what I experience. I will not base my interpretation of reality or my preferred version of reality on what is around me. 
I will not trust in those things. I will not be ruled by my consistent inability to make the world conform to my desires. I will act on and do right because I believe and trust in Jesus. I believe and trust that his interpretation of this world and his dreams for me are right and true and he can make them happen in me. I will go through the day today with doubt, but today I will be ruled by faith in Jesus. Can we live with that definition of faith? It's not this unattainable, you got to have a halo on your head thing to walk in faith anymore, right? It's like, no, 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 I'm going to walk with doubt today, but I'm not going to be ruled by it. Amen? I'm going to walk in this believing who Christ is and what he's done for me. So can you say that about the places that you're at right now? Look at verse uh, 10. We're going to keep reading. We read it a second ago. Then I said, it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. So Jesus has come in and done something. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. Man, maybe you need to highlight that one. I love that verse. What God, little g, is great like our God, big G. You are the one who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. So something happens between verse 3, where I'm thinking about God and it makes it harder, and then these verses that we just read, what's happening during that time? He's remembering the works and the persons of God through the word. Here's what I want to help you understand. Some of us are so uber devotional in our walk with God. And what I mean by that is, I think it's a little trite and it's a little bit thin and it's based on, I feel good about God today, or I read a proverb and I feel better, or I remember that Jesus loves me and it makes me feel good. That's devotional walking with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with it, but it, here's what I will tell you about that. It is insufficient to see you through pain. That's a devotional loving walk with Jesus, but when, you, when he doesn't make you feel better, will you walk with Jesus? That devotional kind of Christianity is powerless, I think, by itself to walk you through times of pain and suffering. There has to be something deeper to handle these heavy, hard pains that just don't disappear. You have to know Jesus to stay close to him when life is painful. You have to know Jesus in order to stay close to him when life is painful. Now listen, here's, I'm going to give you another great example. I know all about Dak Prescott. Amen? Dallas, can you just get an amen? Amen. Some of you are like, who's Dak Prescott? Best quarterback in the NFL. That's what you need to know. Okay? <laughs> I know about him. I did not call him yesterday when I was worried about my kids. I know Mindy Sanders. When I go through hard things, I go here. When there's a pain that I don't know what to do with it, I go here. You can know stuff about Jesus and not know him. And when life gets hard and he doesn't make you feel better, you'll walk away. You have to know Christ in order to walk with him when things get hard. Not just devotionally or informationally, but in a deep Person away, immersing yourself in Jesus Christ 
to know about him and to love him, right? With a deep, trusting kind of love. When that pain comes, it just doesn't disappear for you. Now listen, here's what I'm going to say. Like, how do you get there? That's great, Pastor Joe. How do you get there? The absolute, simplest, most trustworthy way to get into this kind of deep, knowing relationship with God is to feed on God's word. To feed on it. And I don't know another way to say that that would express what I'm trying to explain to you. Feed on the word of God. Eat it. Consume it. Right? Let it become deep into your thoughts, beliefs, your sub-thoughts, the things that you're thinking without thinking. Let the word of God inform those areas in your life. You have to feed on it and just immerse yourself in it. We've got to live on God's word. Moment by moment, our fellowshipping with Jesus has to be done through Scripture. We want to talk to God based on what he's told us about himself in Scripture. We want to listen to the Holy Spirit based on what it says in Scripture. We're carried through the difficulties of our life through our relationship with God and Jesus Christ, and that experience comes through the Word. When we don't immerse ourselves in the Word, we're going to be shaped and controlled by our emotions and our fears and our circumstances. Something is in the background. We've talked about, I'll say it this way, some song is constantly playing in your head all the time. And the lyrics of that song, the feel, emotion of that tune, is determining your actions. It's determining your beliefs. So there's something beneath all that, right? Subtabula, underneath the table, that is constantly informing what you believe, feel, and do. You want God's word to just sit in that area. and You've got to eat it. You have to soak it in to let it get into those places. Y'all understand what I'm saying here? I think some of us are young and we don't get it. Some of us are a little further down the road and we get a little bit of it. You have to let the word just get into those kinds of deep, deep places and immerse yourself in the word and let it shape how we respond to the difficulties of life. If we don't, we're going to be weak, easily knocked out of the fight, and quickly deceived. When we immerse ourselves in the word, we know Jesus and we know his strength. We have his strength. His character begins to become part of our character. His joy rests in us and it makes us strong and it makes us mature and it makes us courageous. If I have a devotional surface level relationship with God, that is not true. I'll be uprooted easily and quickly. And the only way to grow those deep roots is to let God's word get into me. And I've got to feed on it, man. I've got to dig deep into it and let it become a deep part of who I am. So there's this purposeful, intentional setting your mind on something. The things of God through scripture we've talked about. We don't want to hope or wish or intend for our soul to get out of distress. We want God to rescue us from those places, to walk with us through those places, right? So here's another, I want to do a quick, deeper thought experience. experiment. How much of your anxiety, worry, or depression is rooted in one of these two things? One, biblical illiteracy. And what I mean by that is your marriage is having a hard time, and you're like, man, I wish God would say something about how I'm supposed to treat my spouse. Bummer. I'll probably go cheat on my husband today. Why don't we just take a step back and go, wait a minute. 
What if God's word does say something about how you're supposed to respond to your spouse? And you just don't know it. That's called biblical illiteracy. So I want to ask the question again. How many of your worries, anxieties, or current depression is rooted in biblical illiteracy? You just don't know what God says about that. Second thing, you have a lack of intentionality with the word. So not only do you not know what it says, you're not trying to figure out what it says. The first one might be excusable. Second one's inexcusable for a follower of Christ. Could God's word speak into that? I don't know. I'm not going to find out. That is an inexcusable position for a believer to find themselves in. How much of your worry, anxiety, and depression is rooted in, I don't know, and I'm not going to find out. So what is your stress producer right now? Don't nudge your spouse, okay? What is it in your life that's causing stress or anxiety, potentially depression? I want to get into the clinical aspects of that, but you're just in this place where pain won't go away. What is that? Then I'm going to ask you a second thing, and some of you need to write these things down. Like, what is it? Write it down. Next thing, right beside it, what does Scripture say about that? Can you write down three verses that speak directly to that issue in your life? If you can't, you're at a pivot point this morning where you can continue down the road of ignorance and ultimately, I think, sin, or you can stop and go, I'm going to go find out. I'm going to see what God's word says about me or about them or about the situation or about the choice or the future or my spouse or myself or my kids. I'm going to go find out what it says. Then you have other steps about believing and faith and acting and all that stuff. But this is all I wanted to talk about here. What does scripture say about that? How much time and energy have you spent sitting under the weight of those verses? Not only that you know those verses, have you meditated on them? Have they just seeped their way down to the roots the subtabula, the, the, the below-the-surface area where everything else sprouts from in your heart? Have you let the word get in there? Sink deep? That meditation, that remembering consistently over and over again, it begins to slowly turn my attention from Joe to Jesus. Just in this text that we've read, I think in the first 10 verses, he uses the word I 23 times. In the last 10 verses, he says you or God 20 times. This act of meditation slowly changes the direction of my thoughts. It changes the the place, the focal point of my attention from me to God. His ways, his truth, his scripture, his word, his power, his spirit in my life. And then I end up in the same place the psalmist ended up. What God is great like my God? What little gods have told me that they're so amazing and powerful that they can take away what's mine and crush my life? What God is as great as my God? Amen? I can't say that in verse 1, but by verse 20, I hope I'm there. Meditation, reminding myself over and over again. Verse 16, 
So now he's kind of, you see the turn, it's changing. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What happens when the waves crash? I think that verse 19 is very interesting. What happens when the waves crash and the winds blow and they wipe away any hint of the footprints of God? We love that little poem, don't we? I was walking on the beach and I saw one set of footprints because Jesus was holding me and carrying me through the rough times. What happens when the waves come and the wind blows and you look back and there aren't any footprints? Some of us walk this path. Some of us are right there today. And we're like, God, where are you? I am trying to remember. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to turn my thoughts. I want the Spirit to come in and just change my heart's attention. And I'm just looking for your footprints in the sand. I don't even need you to say something, but I can't even see that. This is the trickiest part of Christianity and the greatest part of Christianity. And here's what I want to say. Our entire walk with God is based on faith. By definition, it's something I can't see. My flesh cries out for God to give me a sign. And very often I think he says, just walk. Faith. God is constantly reaching into the depths of our hearts and dragging faith out of us or giving faith to us, however you want to say it, constantly. Just walk. He does it with them, these people in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron. Look at Moses and Aaron. Take faith. I'm with you. He points them to his attention. For us, it's that power that's in us in Jesus Christ. Just walk. What God is like our God. A pastor named Doug Van Dorn said this. He said, what God is like our God. Remind yourself often of these songs. Make them the song that you sing day and night until the Lamb of God returns. And he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And may these words of God bring you comfort in those long sleepless nights when God seems to be against you. Because in Christ he isn't. Sing this song to your heart. Psalm 77, the long, dark night. Here's one of the cool things about Christianity, I think. What pain, maybe you're there this morning, man. What pain has you just groaning? It's pressing down so hard and you're kind of moaning. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do with that pain? I want you to sing Psalm 77 to yourself. Know these words. Let this lyric seep into your soul. Remember God. Trust in God. What song are you going to sing when you're in danger of forgetting? So much about remembering here, right? Because we forget so easily, especially when things are difficult. Remember. I will remember. I will think about. 
I will set my heart to remember these things about God and who he is and what he's done. 2 Samuel 22, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my savior. Maybe you need to let that just seep into your soul this morning. Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And maybe you're at that point. God's like, I'm not going to get you out. I'm not going to release this from you right now. Maybe not ever this pain, this suffering. But I will fill your soul with songs of deliverance. The God of the universe sings to us on our worst days, at our darkest times, and the pain won't go away. I want you to remember, guys, listen, we are no longer slaves. We're not slaves of doubt. Just think about that Red Sea thing. These people are coming out of slavery and what it represents for us. We're coming out of slavery. What have we been slaves to? We were slaves to doubt and fear and pain. We were were slaves to those voices that tell us all the time, you can't and God won't and God doesn't care. You lose. We are no longer slaves to those things. Remind your soul that in Jesus Christ, he has split the sea so you could walk right through it. He has drowned your fears in perfect love. He has rescued you so you can stand and sing, I am a child of God. God, remind us of what we so quickly forget, who you are and what you've done and what you've done for us in Jesus. Some of us are in that dark night right now. This is a hard day. It's a hard month. It's a hard year, hard season of life. Before we slip into hopelessness and then faithlessness, God, I pray that we would, first of all, commit to remembering Commit to meditating and letting your words soak deep. And then, God, that your spirit would sing songs of deliverance to our heart this morning. God, would you do that? Let the spirit just sing sweetly to our spirits and remind us who we are in you, what you've done for us, the power that's ours. We can walk with you today. I don't see your footprints anywhere. But I want to walk. I want to walk with God through it all.